it's a personal and professional goal to recognize that you can't do everything. You need to take care of all the pillars in your life, the family, the relationship, the business, the self. Hello, hello. We have got Nimit Mehta on the pod today. He is the CEO of Top Quadrant, which is an enterprise data management company. But we're going to be talking about something slightly different, which is Nimit's journey into entrepreneurship, how he stumbled into it via search funds. We'll talk about what search funds are, do a mini 101 on the topic. We'll talk about how Nimit discovered his diversity to be a strength in entrepreneurship, what his process of finding and building his relationship with his co-founder was like, tips for others who might be looking to have a co-founder, and what his journey of building culture was like at the company Top Quadrant that he ended up acquiring. Nimit has a Stanford MBA, Columbia engineering degree, and without further ado, here he is. Hi, Nimit. Hi there. Hi there. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I hear you're going to come visit us in Austin. You're talking with my producer about it. I was talking about to your producer. I might move to, I'm considering a move to Austin. Oh, I love this news. I can take the company remote and then I'm not married and my partner is. And so he's like, we're going to have kids or something here. And I'm like, I don't need to be in Raleigh, North Carolina. I don't know anyone here. What am I doing? Yeah. Totally. And you know what? There are lots of great, amazing single people in Austin. Also, there's some pretty cool couples too. Amazing couples, I might add. (laughs) That's so exciting. I am thrilled to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. You've got such a unique story and I'm so stoked that you are willing to share it with us today. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. So I know, Nimit, that your journey into entrepreneurship was not a straight shot. Some people are just born from the womb and know they're going to be an entrepreneur. Other people maybe discover it working at a company that they love. Others stumble into it. What was your discovery of entrepreneurship as a path for you like? Well, um, again, thanks for having me. Um, I'm excited to talk about this today. Mine was very, very much a stumbling into it. Um, it was not something I've ever thought I was going to be. It's not a, you know, those labels you associate with yourself. I am a brother. I am a guy. I'm smart, whatever. I was never an, I am going to be an entrepreneur. My mother has this phrase. Uh, I was thinking about it this past week. It says, which means that's not our people's work. And um, hmm. entrepreneurship is just, you know, we're supposed to be doctors or lawyers, or engineers. And so our, like, I had a lot of unlearning to do familial unlearning to do on like what it means to be an entrepreneur. And I actually had to fit entrepreneurship to fit me because the typical ways you think about learning to be an entrepreneur, the the archetypes of the Elon Musks of the world, like they never appealed to me and they don't really relate to me. So I love that you had to have entrepreneurship fit you. Yeah. That's powerful. So I know that part of that journey for you was via search funds. And we've got a more general audience here. So before we get ahead of ourselves, wanted to do a mini search fund 101 with you, if that's all right. So I'll shoot out some questions and we'll get you to let me know what this looks like. First, what is a search fund, Nimit? How is it different from a startup? 
Yeah, a search fund is a startup, but it's a startup investment vehicle. It allows uh-huh. you to spend a little bit of time thinking about sectors and industries that are important um, in which there are existing companies today that you can help run and grow. So the primary distinction is in a startup, you're starting a company and going from zero to one. In a search fund, what you're doing is working to identify a company that's probably already at one, but is kind of stuck or is um, trying to figure itself out from becoming not just a startup, but managing that transition to a larger, more kind of established company. So in the world of entrepreneurship, it's zero to one versus uh, one to n. Yeah, one to infinity. So you're coming in, potentially buying a company and facilitating even further growth. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And then what's that process look like? The search fund process? There's a few stages. I think stage zero is figuring out that you want to do it, which we can talk about the meandering way that I got there and others have learned that. Um, There's two big phases of the search, like kind of executing a search fund or kind of getting out into the world in this way. Another word for this, by the way, is entrepreneurship through acquisition, which actually Mm -hmm. is a more liberal um, and sometimes a little easier to understand. Um, The first is, is identifying a set of people that are looking to invest in your ideas and uh, raising capital or raising commitments of folks who, when you find a company that you think you want to actually run and grow, they're there for you to kind of be the capital providers and invest in that company. And then the second is the search, and that is finding the company and um, going out to the world and putting yourself out there and talking to founders who are looking for something that, you know, hand some person or some set of people to hand off their baby to, um, to take it to kind of the next stage. Right. And so if we go back to the first phase, I imagine that requires some access to capital. And we'll talk a little bit about how that um, fragments potentially the folks that get access to search funds. But for the second phase of looking for the company that you enter into entrepreneurship via acquisition with, what are, are there criteria that such a company might fill or a founder? What does a searched company look like? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, there's no one I'm, I'm going to speak from my understanding. There's other approaches to like this world of searching, but there is no one real cut. There's probably some financial criteria, certain size and certain growth rate that, you know, you can look on like a spreadsheet. But um, what I would say is the commonality, the, the uniform commonality across business that you know, would be an ideal setup, or at least for me, I'll speak from my personal experience, like what I was looking for. Um, a company that has the ability to punch above its weight, but is missing some of the foundational systems, processes, talent to take it to, you know, a more formal business structure next level, right? A startup, we, I, I worked in them before, you know, there's such vibrance and chaos um, in early days of building the company. And at some point, what got you here won't get you there. And most companies don't necessarily go from startup through to Facebook. You kind of have interesting idea, build something on it, bring a team on, et cetera. And then um, the, uh, you know, at some point that formalization becomes a real business and it's not going to grow at 250% a year, but you're, it's a great idea. And so how do you build in systems, teams, et cetera, to kind of take that company to the next level? For me, it was technology, but... That was mostly because we, I was in a, in a world of San Francisco surrounded by these fast growing technologies. And I had, you know, we grew up in an immigrant family. I had a number of folks who I'd seen, you know, 
uncles of mine or fathers of friends who had businesses on their own that were really good technologies that weren't the cool San Francisco stuff. And um, I had this belief that like there's actually a series of good technology that has nothing to do with the venture capital market out in, in, uh, in the Bay. And so that was kind of foundational principle of what I was looking for, which is, is there a technology that is beloved and underutilized and underknown and, and, and a set of owners that are looking to kind of, you know, be competitive in, in, in the larger market. We bought a company in North Carolina, three phenomenal, brilliant founders who built a company in a sector that, you know, thin air. It was, it was a sector that didn't exist around the time they built this company. And what they did, I didn't do, right? And they came from deep understanding of data and what's going to happen with data, how do you use it, et cetera. When we came in, um, we, as I have a business partner, which we can talk about a little later, it was a match made in heaven because, or a, match, a perfect fit because they recognized in us what they couldn't do, which was to the, the elements of unlearning. It's more just additional skills. Like how do you, yeah. you know, the boring stuff, the spreadsheet stuff sometimes gets away from the fun of let's build something new and just see what happens. And um, I think that combination um, was why we ended up here. So from a financial perspective, it depends. Sometimes, you know, these, if you're older and later in your career, you can choose to fully take a step out. Um, we wanted them to be involved. Kind of, we I kind of viewed these as folks who like I looked up to and all three of them stayed on, you know, they still work here in different forms. And I talked to them weekly. That's not, that's a little atypical, but you know, it is exactly typical for this business and this experience for the way that I want to run, you know, I wanted to run this organization. Beautiful. What about funding, Nimit? What does that look like? There's two types. Um, there's the funding that that you can choose or not choose to take on before you have an idea, before you have a business that you want. For me, that was an important part of the equation, which is I can't go for, you know, potentially two, three years of no salary. It was necessary but insufficient for me to make the leap. It just helped kind of make the decision easy. Now, that funding comes from a series of either folks who had who have acquired and invested in companies before, or folks who are just fully love supporting young entrepreneurs, trying to figure out how entrepreneurship fits for them. And it was a combination of professors and small family offices, um, a consortium of folks who I known in my career beforehand. So they kind of joined and just bought into me and including my, my, my partner as well. And we put together an amalgam of people who were you know, intellectually aligned. That was for us. And I think every person who does this, who goes down this route, kind of does that sense. It's not, not dissimilar to raising your series A. You want to get people who are aligned to you. Make sure that you, you know, you're in it for the long haul because there's a lot of unknowns. That... Those folks fund a small pool of capital for you to invest in, you know, pay salary, but also go and out, go out of the world and find a company. And what they're buying is the right to invest in that company you find. And so you kind of want the intellectual alignment. So a lot of the folks that we looked at were folks who've been in tech or who had worked in data or in investing, that sort of thing. Um, the second pool of capital is around the acquisition. And so, you know, those folks who bought the right early on have the right to invest some share of the acquisition to go and acquire that company. And it gives you, it gives them kind of a investment opportunity that they probably wouldn't have had, had I not gone out to the world and, Kind of source the investment, but it also gives an opportunity to, to continue invest in my in me and help you know work and grow with me. It's a right though, so they can choose not to do that as well. And so there's a little bit of like a dual fundraise moment. Think of it as like a Series A and a Series B. You know, similarly, you can have folks continue on or take a step out. Uh, we luckily had everyone support, but um, you know, it, 
every investment is not necessarily everyone's going to do. So. That makes a ton of sense. And then what about returns? Is the horizon similar to a startup series A return horizon, like seven to 10 years? It depends. Yeah. And there's, there are, there's no hard and fast rule on that. And I think there's definitely studies that are post, you know, posted online on it. Ours was a much longer term horizon. Uh, we're looking to do something over you know, 20 years. That doesn't mean that returns don't happen across the time through different ways, but our ambition was a little bit different than the typical. The typical experience, and I don't want to speak for the whole space, but I think it's something between, I don't know, four and 10 years or something like that, where someone acquires, grows, and then sells uh, a company. We had something a little bit different in mind here, but but probably that's what it is. Yeah, makes sense. So then why do search funds work? It's an investment opportunity you're coming in and improving the operations of a company, improving returns for for those investors. What else would you add to that? I think it's, it's a supply demand fit. Mm. Um, I always view myself as a little bit like a ninja. Some in every yeah. environment, I'm a little bit different than the typical cut. And, you know, that's demographic, and that's intellectual. I'm excited to talk about yeah. that, yeah. And I think in this one, this is kind of a similar, like in the environment of entrepreneurship, kind of view myself mm. as like not cut in the way you're supposed to do it. Um, mm. I think, and this is my story, but I think this is a little more broadly applicable. There's a set of folks, and maybe some of the folks listening to this podcast are, um, who love the idea of building, creating and um, kind of wanting to kind of go out to the world and leave something. But maybe starting a company is either too daunting or for me, it was just not that exciting, right? I think the, the ground level um, building something out of nothing and testing and testing and testing, like that's just not how my brain works. But uh, just my personal experience, I was looking for something where, hey, I could actually lean into the things that I really enjoy around team leading and uh, motivating hiring people way smarter than you and hopefully like getting out of their way. Um, and uh, there was just like, you know, this was a nice fit for I think a class of people that would probably look like me. Like they were like, Hey, I want this experience that was a little bit not starting from the ground up and having to go through that lonely journey up as a, as a startup founder. On the other side, I think it's also just like, there's a lot of folks in the market, you know, who don't, who've either heard bad stories about selling their company and they're also not necessarily looking to, they don't have the, either clout or ability to sell to one of those big private equity firms and, you know, go off into the yeah. sunset. And so the fit is almost bringing that whole skill set matching together to two classes of people that I think are looking for each other. Yeah. And I'm excited to get into your personal story and this ninja aspect. But before we do that, I just need to know what are the cons of search funds, Nimit? It's good. Love it. Well, you get this, this gray hair. That's where you get. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, no, no, I think it's. <laughs> I think it's a, just a unique experience of um, kind of being the centerpiece between a number of stakeholders. So that's one. You're kind of squeezed between, not squeezed, but you're holding the bag between an investor, group of people who are looking for returns and looking to kind of invest in you, but kind of for the sake of returns. On the other side, you're looking for a seller, someone who's trying to give their business to the right person, take their baby. And, you know, also treat them fairly. And then yourself, your personal interest in your family. Like, think about all the things that you have to deal with uh, in just a normal nine to five. And then add that you potentially could move to a different city. You may have to, you have a significant other who has a job and you need to kind of be traveling a whole bunch, especially in that search phase. The other challenge, there's two. The second big challenge is that it's two different skill sets. Buying, finding a company and buying it is very different than running. 
And so odds on favorite, you're, you're probably weaker at one of them than the other. And so, and both are required. Uh, and the, the fun is learning it. The challenge is you got to do it both. Like you have to be good at both. Otherwise it doesn't work. And so knowing that like, you're kind of entering a world where you're going to be weak at something and you've got to learn it. Like, cause like it's all dependent on that. I see where the whole business generalist James Bond ninja comes in then because the searcher sounds to me like an analyst, very data-driven, logical, whereas the person that runs the company is good at sales, partnership, people. And then you speak to the other aspect of managing multiple stakeholders, complex personal relationships. You have not just the team you're managing, but those founders, you have your investors, you have your own life. It does sound complex, wrought with challenge, hopefully lots and lots of growth. And I'm sure each case is very unique and also in a smaller subset of the entrepreneurial world makes it more fascinating. Ian. Okay. So let's dive into more of your story. So we've talked about the fact that the typical person that does this tends to come from a private equity, tends to be white male. Um, and you are not a white male. We talked at the beginning about your mom and uh, your heritage and wanted to just have us dive into that and, and the demographics of the space and the opportunity that lies within it. What brought me to this world or even this whole journey, uh, as I said earlier at the beginning, I was fell backwards into it. It wasn't mm -hmm. something that I intended. Um, it's probably the first moment of real first principle thinking, looking what I want to do next in my career. And I'm sitting around and I'm thinking about maybe I'll do an investing role or work in tech or something. And um, a friend of mine, um, Aaron pretty much asks him like, what are you actually looking for here? Like the next five, 10 years, what are you looking for? And I sit there and I'm quiet for a second. And I'm like, I really know I'm when I'm really good. There are two things I'm looking for autonomy, I'm trying to solve for that. And I'm good at ambiguity. Like I can handle it. Some people get nervous, but I can cut ambiguity. There's a ton of things I'm weak at. So let's not say anything other than there, but, um, I think this role presented itself to me in a moment where nothing I was looking at had the level of autonomy that I was looking for, which is high accountability, high autonomy. And um, so I chose this, I, I started looking at, maybe I'll kind of do this role and see what happens. Two big challenges you walk into, one, no one who you talk to, you talk to a bunch of these folks who've done it or sold their companies or, you know, worked in this yeah. world, you don't really look look in all the senses like me. And that's okay. I'm, I'm, I think there are a lot of us are used to that experience, but it makes it harder when you don't have the copy and paste. Oh, I want to be them. They're doing this. Therefore I'll do this. I've always wanted that kind of personally, I don't have <laughs> like a, an older uncle that taught you how to do business. My parents are both government workers, um, yeah. you know, immigrants, whatever. And so I think, I think that there's a little there. And, and what I mean by that is, yeah, I think it's, it's, you know, it's getting more diverse, but there's still a ways to go. And both on gender, which I happen to be in the majority cat with class there, but racially not diverse worlds. And it's like maps a lot of, you know, insights on privilege that we know, right? White male, yeah. male, definitely more than, you know, female, things like that. So you look around the room and everyone's not looking like you and you see that as, well, maybe I don't belong here. Or you say, huh, maybe I absolutely belong here. And like, there's both benefit to me just by being a little bit of a, a different uh, quantity, but also what an easy opportunity for different, differentiating yourself. Like there may be someone who wants what I'm offering. So, yeah, let's talk more about that. How has your being you 
and by way of that, different served you in the space? In this role? Mm, or in your search? Yeah. So let me just begin to hit her over the head around like racially different, right? I think that's like not wildly different, but different enough. You're talking to owners. I mean, I spent, you know, you're working 16 hour days trying to talk and meet and fly to whoever you can to just build a connection and say, hey, is there a business opportunity, but is there also like a fit in terms of what they're trying to do is hand their business off for someone that they can trust. Um, me being me, there's a whole bunch of like elements around uh, vulnerability and trust that like I think were really helpful, I think. Um, but I think also being different sometimes made it really easy to have a have conversation. There was, I mean, frankly, a number of Indian uncles that were just you know, excited to have a conversation about someone that looked and felt like them because they probably would have been kind of feeling the same experience just in the reverse. So not many people, you know, giving them the time of day to talk about all the things that they've created and built. And so it was, I wouldn't call it like the hardest, but it was definitely a struggle to kind of figure out what's the pitch, what's my value add. Um, but the second thing is that I think like, I think it probably on average, on, on balance fueled more than anything else because, um, I like to think about this uh, mentality that we use in our company too now. It's this, you know, how culture emanates downwards. So a lot of the culture is just things that I really care about. This idea yeah. of the why not mentality. And, um, you know, there's like why mentality and why not mentality. You think about, you know, it's like very reductive, but someone gives a, a new idea. There are people who immediately say why. And some people immediately say why not. Now, mm. I've always thought that why not is better than why. I think they're both valuable. And, and one really helps correct. One really helps um, engender the sense of possibility. And I've always had a why not mentality that comes from being raised by uh, a firecracker of a, of a, of a mother who she took, sounds like it. Yeah. She, <laughs> she would just, she took no nonsense. <laughs> and, um, a lot of me, so a lot of the goods and the bads come from just that observation. And, uh, and I think, I think that's probably, if I were to say what's really what drove me through this experience and probably the lesson I talk to the, to the, the listeners is like, you know, picking that thing that makes you really different, like the level of why not I have is through the roof. Like you'll pretty much say yes to it. I'll say yes to everything to start. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually just, it, it was what carried me through where I'd be able to be creative in moments where people would overlook something. And that led to this organization where, you know, it wasn't shaped in the way that is perfectly ready for you to just take and go. We have to work on it and building a relationship with the folks who I really learned to admire made that incredibly easy. Yeah, absolutely. So I think something you were telling me about Nimit was that, and correct me if I'm wrong, and we can fact check this as well after, of about 94-ish percent of folks in the space are white, and then about 78-ish percent are male. And mm-hmm. and so this really speaks to me about like, wow, it's quite rare actually to get someone not in those demographics. Uh, and then as you were sharing, like I totally resonate with what you were sharing as a woman of color, that there's no complete, like every time I see a woman that looks like me, even in a movie or doing something in business or entrepreneurship, I feel so seen. <laughs> I think it's a wonderful thing to embrace who we are. There's 8 billion people out there, but only one us. We will be the mm-hmm. best version of us than anyone else can be. And I think what you were also sharing about just being able to connect with other people. I personally think that being diverse of these coming from various backgrounds has helped me connect more with other people because there's just a little bit more work that needs to be done to be able to relate to others and practice this skill, which I find now is a strength, but also to the point of you don't have this uncle that you can copy paste, but 
my joke that I like to say, especially to Marcin, is we can be that for the others that come behind us. You know, we can be that. Another example for folks. And so Nimit, you are this wonderful example for folks that want to go into the search fund space. Yeah. I love that. And I think yeah. it's, it's um, you know, there's almost like the easiest to connect is the person that is most linearly connected to you. By nature of the world, there are going to, you know, if you're a minority, you're walking into a space that's not many minorities in there. By the name minority, you're going to have not that many people. Like there'll be fewer people that you'd be able to easily connect with. But I'd also say like there's a second ring out that you can connect with around the others. There's like the the, the, the majority and then the others, and the mm -hmm. others are like a hodgepodge of, you know, right. everyone else, right? And it's yeah. like the I think of it like the whole the Statue of Liberty thing, like bringing me your poor, your weak, your hungry, your whatever. Like that's kind of like what uh, I was able to really connect with, like people who were just in software and technology who didn't look like the thing that you see on TechCrunch or whatever, you know, you're not 27 yeah. wearing a hoodie and uh, walking around. And I think that like, I think while you say it's work and I do think there's some skill, you keep learning. And it's not just learning the skill of connection, but you're just being yourself and they happen to be mm -hmm. drawn to you. Um, I'd also say it's hard coded in who we have been too. Like it's for years and years, um, the, that's not a skill necessarily. It's just like kind of how you walk in the world. Yeah. And you have to have it, but also like, it's not out of survival. It's about like, it's, um, it's like a, a source of strength that you've always mm -hmm. had. Yeah, absolutely. And leaning into that strength and what makes us who we are is as a way to differentiate and, and be stand out from the crowd, which is, which is a powerful thing. Agreed. All right. Amazing. So the other thing we talked about Nimit was what you love, love, love about entrepreneurship, and that is building. And uh, two things here to dive into with you. One, your co-founder and how you found him and your relationship building and then culture at the company that y'all acquired. Let's start with the first. And this is a fascinating story, hearing from entrepreneurs all the time about how do I find a co-founder? How do I develop that relationship? And I know you've got a unique take. Y'all have known each other for a while, so I'll let you share that with us. Absolutely. You're talking about two of my favorite topics. Um, my relationship with my co-founder is probably top three successes I've ever had in my life. And that includes the company. Includes Amazing. That. So the story is, well, it's a, it's a love story. So my, it's a love story. My, uh, my, my co-founder is my college roommate. I knew him actually the year before college. We met at a conference. Uh, um, and I think he hated me when he first met me. <laughs> <laughs> All great relationships start that way. <laughs> I don't know, especially with me. But uh, he, um, he's the smartest guy I know. And throughout college, um, we, we really connected after the first not liking me based mm. upon our differences, like intellectual approach to the world. We were trying, like, we, ha we are so different as people. Um, but the thing that actually um, stuck with me was there was a statement. I remember we would go back to his house. I'd spend time with his family during holiday breaks when I wouldn't go home. And um, we were driving once. I think we were helping his mother pick up some stuff from Costco. And it was just probably 20 years ago. And I was like, how do you choose your friends? Like, why do you choose your friends the way you do? And he's like, I think it's because trust is really hard to find. And so, you know, when you find it, you kind of hold on to it. And um, that always stuck with me because it's so true. Like, I think it's hard to trust, trust someone. I think, I think for me, at least it's, you can trust, like I trust many people, but when I trust by putting my career in someone's hands or, you know, my safety, um, that's a different level of trust that I, I kind of earn it. You gotta, for me, at least. Um, 
So we met him back then. We went our separate ways. And at the moment of me trying to start this thing, I was actually going to do it alone. Um, thank God I didn't. I was sitting around and I was like, all right, well, what can I do? I can, I can do this thing alone. And that's great, right? You get two times whatever you were going to get. And I started to realize, like, man, I have so many blind spots. Like, I think I'm fantastic, but there's a lot of things I, I can be working on. And typically how I find, like, where I, you know, work on something that I'm weak on, I just call him. I happened to call him. He was working and he was thinking about doing something different for his life. And um, I was like, man, what would it be like if we were able to crack this learning relationship? I trust him implicitly. So it's not like I'm going down the street finding some co-founder, which I think is tough and easier in some ways, too. Like it's either way. But I was able to like look at him and say, hey, maybe maybe I could continue learning from you to the betterment of both of our careers, but also like a team that I think he's a great leader. And so it was the start. Um, Beautiful. So a relationship built on trust over several years. Yeah. And... Tell me about, you're so grateful that you decided to do the search with him. What was very valuable in having a co-founder? It's a lonely experience generally. Entrepreneurship, no matter what form, is going to be lonely at some point. It's good to have someone in the, co the seat next to you. Either you're a co-pilot at times or they're a co-pilot, but either way, you're pilots together. That's nice. You know, you, you kind of, the, the, the second piece is you kind of go down a trough at some point early on in every relationship, kind of figure out like, hey, how do we coexist as a unit? And um, he's... You know, we had some real tough times. There are things that you can, I like to say always, there are things you can deal with as a friend that you can't deal with as a co-founder. Things you can deal with a partner, you cannot deal with as a friend. And there is unlearning that needs to happen, right? Because like, I can't just show up late to meetings and say, sorry, man, I'm late. I'm, his, his job is dependent on me. I got to show up on time, right? These are small things, but you got to, you know, I always knew there are things you could deal with, with a partner that you can't deal with a friend. I, did, I always, didn't realize there are things you, the opposite. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, I think it probably took nine, 12 months to really get it right. But then really since then, it's been, I think, the most significant business asset we had. It sounds from what you're describing like you respect him and you don't want to let him down. In a way, he challenges you to show up better in a good way. Yeah. And I trust him. So if you give me feedback, I can trust him implicitly. He's not trying to hurt me. He's not going to do any of that stuff. And so, like, of course, he's out there for my best interest. And I'm the same for him. And we got a team. So when he told me I messed up on something, he's right. He's not saying it because he's, uh, you know, feeling, you know, he had a bad day at work or whatever. He's doing it because he knows me and he knows I can be better. Right. And then you're giving each other really honest feedback. It sounds like you have complementary strengths. And so you're covering bases. Sounds like together you're more than just one plus one equals two. You're exponentially better. Yeah, that's right. I think there's also the other piece too, which is most people like the book would say, don't go to business with your best friend. That's just like a, like a, a no-brainer business insight. And like right. something about that, maybe it goes to that whole kind of why not mentality. Like, why not? I think it requires work. It's hard, but it actually can be done. And I think for the folks listening out there that are thinking about, hey, I really want a co-founder, they might be a lot closer than you think. You just kind of got to squint a little bit and tilt your head a little bit. You might be able to see the right person. I still love that you bring that up because there's lots of questions too around where do I find my co-founder? Is it someone that I already work with, someone that I already know, or someone that I need to go out and search for. It sounds like you've had a really good success with someone you've known for a long time. And we were talking also about the fact that you most likely already know this person and have had experience with them. In a way, the grass isn't always greener and, and maybe look in your life and see who you had experience working with and how can you develop that relationship further. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like there's 
finding a co-founder, I'm sure, is hard in every aspect. And this had his own heart, but not necessarily forcing or restricting yourself to one type of co-founder. The entrepreneurship journey is way more about in the trenches, does someone have your back? I mean, even if you're perfect, you're only good at A, B, and C and not good at D, A, D, F, all of you, I think the thing you potentially miss is someone who's actually going to be there and in support of you on the emotional side, because the skills are learnable, right? If we believe in growth, like everyone can learn skills. It's about the other stuff that matters. Or don't forget about really, that stuff. At least. Really good point. All right, Nimit, let's talk about culture and your experience with building culture at the company that you're part. I'll let you give context for listeners. Yeah. So second favorite topic is uh, how do you build a culture? And I think there's, it's particularly interesting when the company already exists without you there, right? This company has been around for 20 plus years, different forms, but tilting a culture, identifying the elements that are immutable or desirable and pulling those apart from the things that you want to change is see there's art it's, it's an art but it is so fun to see succeed um so the story that i gave is we have a company that is a scientific company it's a company that is built around product it's built around technology that is um, becoming more used in helping large fortune 1000 companies organize and manage security of their data manage access control visibility and usability of the most important data in an organization and the problems existed for a long time. The technology has been increasing in adoption. So you have a company that's built around a cult of great technologists, and they're all worried about, I mean, how they, you know, the business before was how to keep the lights on because when you survive for 20 years and you don't explode, you kind of have to manage. And that's kind of where the company was. And when the opposite of growth is kind of flatlining. And so, um, what we had to do was build a culture of, hey, if we bring in a little bit more investment, let's like break a few more rules. What would it be like to take a few more risks? So we did a few things, which is bring the team together, talk about what it would take, like almost allow them to dream a little more. I think dreaming is a big part of being good at business, but also like really having fun, it's like being able to allow the team to dream and creating a really safe space for some pretty wacky ideas. And then supporting and taking a few bets and showing that we're not just doing it to waste time, but we think that dreaming is a big part of the future of our business, almost by desire. We need it. I'm imagining putting myself in the shoes of working at a company and I get these new owners come in, they've bought us up and I am worried and nervous and stressed. Am I going to keep my job? Who are these people? What are they going to do? We're likely close knit. And so to me coming in and first of all, trusting you guys is going to be super important feeling and knowing that you want to hear me and my ideas and you value my expertise and my literal value that I provide to the company is going to be important. So just hearing you speak about hearing their ideas, getting them to dream more. Uh, I imagine you are allowing them to experiment and validating some of those, showing that we're not afraid to fail of that. And, and that's easier said than done. And so I imagine there's a lot of showing to get folks bought into that type of cultural change. Yeah, I think I think we're still not, it's not done and dusted. We have a lot more work to do, but yeah. um, it's pretty inspiring to see someone who's done work in the same way for the past 10 years, mm -hmm. start questioning, hey, am I doing the right things? I remember one of our uh, folks who we've given a new role and had them step into a new experience. And I need to keep reminding him how he doesn't need to worry about keeping the lights on. Like he's got to go focus on building new things and creating new processes and focusing on the goals that matter, which is building great technology, 
getting people excited about it and then like having them succeed. It's what you said again, just about your co-founder, having someone in the trenches with you, someone to go through it with. And it sounds like you being that for the team and having them feel like we're all in this together and the change is for all of us together. Yeah. Yeah, it happens to be like a, the whole sense of possibility thing that happens to be me. But there are moments where I need the other version of it too. And like, it's really nice. Like I have my moments where I'm, what am I doing? And like, where are we going? And the market's all over the place. But, you know, I bring one aspect of it, which is I push hard. I bring, push the goalposts and get excited. And then there's all these other skills in this company that allow it to, and it's, it, that allow it to keep going and focus. Like it's, it's, it's a, it's a full on locomotive engine, which many gears and wheels and parts. And I'm just one, I'm, maybe I'm just the, the steam. I just keep pushing things forward. And then, uh, <laughs> I'm analogy. but, uh, yeah, there's a, there's, you know, there's such incredible people and it's my job and by design, it's only, it's my job and my partner's job to make sure we can make them the best wheel they can be or the best, you know, caboose they can be or whatever. Like they, they, right. you know, we are here to make sure that we're out of their way so that the full engine can run perfectly. You're there to unblock them or figure out their blockers and take those away. And obviously we're simplifying this. Humans are very complex and there's lots that goes into it, but all right. So tell us about Top Quadrant. How big is the team? How can folks partner with y'all? Top Quadrant is an enterprise data management company. We help large fortune 1000 organizations organize their data, make it discoverable and consumable for all the cool applications and compliance and risk things they need to do. Uh, it's fairly horizontal as a tool, but typically finds value in regulatory driven uh, industries. So healthcare, life sciences, pharma, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and sorry, financial services. Um, we're about north. We just hit, we just north of 30 uh, people. We've had a great year this past year, more than doubling in our overall size. And we are looking to keep doing that. I mean, the need, as we all probably know, more data has been generated uh, in the past five years than ever existed before that. So um, we've got a lot of work to do in organizing it because right now or these companies that we're working with, they're generating so much data, they don't know what they have. And so we help with that. Very, very large organizations rely on us to actually power these systems. Um, and the need is pretty right. And then speaking of building and powering organizations, in your role today as a leader, what is your word for 2023? What do you want to work on as a leader, Nimit? Balance. Um, I think, uh, yeah. I, I think it's, it's a personal and professional goal to recognize that you can't do everything. You need to take care of all the pillars in your life, the family, the relationship, the business, the self. And I think it's become more important professionally because it's so evident as I realize my emotional set is either a huge asset or a huge hindrance to my business and to the team. And the more I can manage and not necessarily mute, but just understand what I'm feeling and where I'm feeling it and maybe reserve judgment or just have a little more patience. I think the better I can understand the scenario and help folks make good decisions. So yeah, balances, balances, uh, is what, what the goal is for 2030. Wishing you balance in 2023, Nimit, that is a thing to aspire to or constantly working toward. And I will share that. I think the best thing you can do for your stakeholders, shareholders, et cetera, is to take care of yourself. If you're performing at your best, then you're taking care of the business. So to balance in 2023 for us all. 
Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like what you hear, leave a review and share.